Crossroads of East Tennessee, France. Thank you for joining up with me Saturday, uh, November 28th, 2020. We've got a month left of this, of this year. I hope everyone in the States that celebrated Thanksgiving, I hope you had a joyous one. Uh, we have a lot to be grateful for. Uh, for those of us who have a life in Christ, we have so much to be grateful for. Uh, eternal life that we have in Christ, not just what is in the future, but what we have now. And as we rejoice and enjoy him uh, forever and ever, and what we're going through right now is a copy and a shadow of things to come, but we have so much to be grateful for that we have in Christ. Um, <clears throat> we're going to get into Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 22. As I'm looking, I know that uh, being a former school teacher, I should be better at writing things on the board and being a little straighter about things. But, uh, but at any rate, um, we're going to go ahead and finish up chapter six. It's been a while since I've been with you all. Uh, we've, I feel like I've, I've dealt a lot uh, of lessons on, um, on Noah and what all's coming, what he's coming into. I'm fascinated by, by the life that he lived and what all he was, he was going through as we, continue to unpackage a lot of what was going on in his time and what his family had to endure in the early days of creation. Uh, it's called the uh, a, a antediluvian or antediluvian age uh, before the flood. And then post-diluvian is afterwards, after the flood and what life was like then and so forth. But, uh, but it's very fascinating. We don't have a whole lot in those, in that time frame. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, anywhere between, I, think, I want to say the exact is 1,600, 1,656 years over just maybe about nine chapters of Genesis. There's a lot there. And so I've tried to deal with and study what I thought and what I see as the best uh, answers to give. You know, the Bible calls us as believers to give a defense for the hope that resides in us. And that's all I want to show and, and give to you all in what I teach. And I always want you all to search the scriptures constantly. When I'm teaching, I always want you to check out what I'm saying and what I am, am given instruction on. Uh, as much as I prepare, I want you to take this for yourself and to study it and to be in the word constantly. Before we get, begin and get into this, as we finish up Genesis 6, starting at verse 9 and going through verse 22, let's bow our heads forward of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the joy of life that you've given us. And Father, I just, I just pray for each individual that is listening to this and taking this in. I pray that this helps them in their walk with you and pursuing you. All these things point to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to the fulfillment. Of, of everything that we have in Christ. And God, I just pray that as I teach, that I'm trusting in your word, not prepared. And I pray that folks will, will uh, search your scriptures with great enthusiasm and eagerness to see if, these, see if these things are so. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get into Genesis 6, verses 9 through 22. Um, Let's read this, and it talks about, we see what 
kind of man Noah is like. And I'm going to get into that on the board here. But first, let me start by reading here in verse uh, nine of chapter six. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all the flesh, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then Noah, or then no, then God said to Noah, The earth, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with runes and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how, this is how you, you, should, you should make it. The length of the ark should be 300 cubits. Its breadth is, or width is 50 cubits. And the height should be 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you should and finish it to a cubit from the top and, and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon, upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I shall establish or I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind and of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will, will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some, some of all food, which is edible, and gather it to yourself. And it shall, be for, it, shall be for, it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all God had commanded him. So he did. You see that about Noah. That's, that is constant in his life as he has been introduced at the end of chapter five and, and forward, Noah did all that God had commanded. That is excellent to know that, that who had seen rain, who knew anything about water coming upon the face of the earth and, and a flood coming, overtaking the land. Nobody had seen this, but Noah trusted God on this. Let's go ahead and start unpackaging this as we go through this. Now, First of all, we see this. Here's the context in which the world that they're living in. It's a supernatural, there's supernatural activity. There's spiritual warfare. There's demonic activity on the earth. I went over this many, many times in previous lessons, so I'm not going to rehash all that. You have the sons of God that saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they took for themselves wives. They pretty much just, they stepped out of their abode of where God had placed them. They stepped beyond their authority. And so they saw these, these women as beautiful and they took for themselves wives. And out of that, the offspring were these Nephilim um, or Nephilim as it's pronounced if, to be uh, uh, proper with this. There's a lot of to unpack here and nobody really knows fully exact, except that it seems like everything seems to point to 
that these were giants. These were supernatural creatures that came on the face of the land. They, they raided villages. They brought all kinds of, of violence to the world. Uh, this is the type of thing that is happening on the earth. I tend to hold to the, the fact that the, as things were translated from Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, things were translated to Latin. This Nephilim seemed to go in, and, and many times it translated into English as giants. Uh, the New American Standard that I read from said the Nephilim. So it just seems like these are giants on the earth. But there's a lot of other people who have different kind of um, what they seem to see this holding to. And but I'm I'm that's where I'm teaching this, and you check out what I'm saying and search it out yourself, okay? But I think there's just a lot of the point is is there's rebellion and revolt against the Lord, against the Lord, the Creator, the Master of all things, the one who brought everything, life to this earth, life brings brings into being all types of life. There's revolt against Him. Romans one talks about this, and I've used this extensively. Uh, you see, you see where people they know there's a God. They see the indivis- invisible attributes, everything about the Lord. There's there's got to be a Creator, somebody a whole lot bigger than us that's put all this together. But yet they refuse to recognize and worship Him. Paul wrote to the second his second letter to the Thessalonians. He talked about how the Lord was going to come back and He was going to bring retribution on this earth to those who, and, and, and reward. He was going to bring retribution to those who don't know him and refuse to know him. They disobey him. They know he's there, but they refuse to recognize him. I think that's what we've got going on here. We have people who are in just full rebellion and revolt against the Lord. And it says at the end of chapter six, it talks about Noah was around 500 years old and God told him these things. He said, there is, there is coming judgment on this, on this world where you're living uh, your grandfather, Methuselah, when he dies, it will come. He's on his deathbed now. And so they're preparing for all this. In about 120 years, Noah, Noah, there is going to be a flood. There is going to be a global judgment on this world. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Peter talks about Noah as being a preacher of righteousness. Even though he's building this, um, this huge um, barge or a, a re- ark, refuge, if you will, a place of safety for people. Um, and I'll talk about the dimensions of this here in just a few minutes. Um, but he, even while he's being this master carpenter and putting all this together and his sons are helping him make it, a, make it secure, he's preaching righteousness to the people. There is a coming judgment. He's, he's evangelizing, if you will. He's saying these things to the people. Get ready for judgment. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. People are stubborn. They were stubborn about this. But you know what? The thing is, Noah was faithful. Noah was faithful. You know, Peter talks about how there's, there's um, in, in that same epistle, he talks about that he's not, he's not slow, as some count slowness, but he wants, to, he wants to grant people repentance. Please turn from your wicked ways so that nobody would perish. That's what the Lord wants to see, but he's not going to be mocked either, okay? And we've talked about all this, so that's the world in which Noah is living in and what he's having to deal with. 
Now, let's talk about the man, what he's like. We see that Noah, it says this in verse 9, it says that he was, he was a righteous man, okay? He was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time or in his generation or in the generations. He was blameless. And it also says that he walked with God. His, I guess it would be his great-grandfather, Enoch. It says that he walked with God. See, these men in Genesis 5, I'm telling you, there's something special and unique about these men. They walked different according to this world. They were a peculiar people. Uh, the New Testament, the same apostle Peter, he talks about that, being peculiar people, different. What's going on around you, you are unique in how you're supposed to, in how you live. And that is what we see about Noah. He is different as opposed to what's going on around him and his circumstances. He walked with God. When we see that somebody is walking with God or walked with God, here's what we know about these people. People who walk with God, they have a practice or a pattern of their lifestyle in which they love the Lord. Their mind, everything about them, their speech, their conduct, everything has a desire to reflect God in everything they do. That's what we see with Noah. He was concerned about what he did before his creator. That, that just rang through with Noah. He was going to be, he lived his life where he, he walked. His life was a habit of walking with the Lord. He lived and pursued the Lord in all that he did. Everything, everything about every aspect of his life. And that's why he's blameless in his generation, in his circle. In his time, everything about Noah, he was blameless. It doesn't mean, we're not saying that Noah was perfect, but he had a heart in which he was, his desire was to be pure. And that speaks to us today. As believers, we should have a life and a heart that desires purity before people, before the Lord and before people. And I've given you this illustration before. I've learned some things. I'm coming up on 32 years of marriage. And one of the things I've learned in my marriage life, just when you think you've got it all figured out, uh, 22 years into the marriage, I thought I knew what I was doing well. Well, it, for the last 10 years, all of a sudden, the Lord has really pierced my heart. You know what? I need. If I say I love my wife, and I did, I, lo I love my wife dearly. But you know what? You show that by loving her, by doing things for her, helping out around the house. I just told a group of, I told a group of kids, uh, high school students the other day, I said, you know, one of the things that in my life, what I have, have, have realized is I help my wife out with the dishwasher, stacking the dishes. I've learned, I'm, I'm a, um, I've learned to be a pro at that. I really help her with that, with things like that. My wife does everything flawless in our house and in our home. She makes it such a great home. But that's one thing where I help her. Just that's, that's a small thing. But my point is this, is that if I'm going to say I love my wife, I should do things to help her out. I should show that to her. Hey, I'm here to help you out with the house. It shouldn't all just be on you. I should be helping her. Okay. And that's how you reflect Christ. That's how we reflect God in our lives being blameless, a life that is pure before everybody. In his reputation, obviously, Noah, people knew. They knew who he was. They recognized him. 
but even in his own home, his character rang through. He had integrity. Nobody could come back and point a finger and think, hey, there's something crooked about that guy. I'm skeptical about him. Nobody could do that. Nobody could do that. Nobody could bring that up. Nobody could bring something out and think, ah, oh, he says he's that way, but he's not. This is the kind of man Noah was. He loved the Lord. He loved his creator. So much so that even before he knew anything, he didn't know anything about this. He loved the Lord. He did everything that he was commanded to do. Now let's talk about a few, just, just a few more things here about, about what um, the circumstances, the height. When you see cubit, there's been a lot of different, what could that measurement be? It's more than a foot, all right? And it seems to be a lot of biblical scholars seem to think 18 inches. Just, just round, round it off, estimate 18 inches. I've heard people say 17.2, 20 inches, or whatever. But most people seem to think 18 inches. So the dimensions of the ark were, were about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, length 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet in height, all right? Um, I'm real close to a high school and, um, and their stadium. The ark would fit right in it, right in the football field. A little longer from probably from goalpost to goalpost, a little bit longer, but it, it's going to be a little, you know, stick out a little bit. But yeah, they, you get the idea of how long the ark is. As a matter of fact, there's a replica up in Northern Kentucky outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, the ministry answers in Genesis. They have made everything to, uh, to exact um, proportions of what the uh, ark looks like. I'd like to go up there sometime and, and see that, but you, you get the idea and, and, and how it was sealed was pitch. Basically it was tar. I know people who, who would, um, they'll take sealant on a basement because they don't want moisture getting in, into their basement. Uh, pitch was, a, was tar or some type of uh, uh, a seal of some sort to make sure that it wouldn't leak. And so Noah did this. He was impeccable in the way in which he, uh, in which he did this. Now remember, at the when Noah gets this, when he hears this, he's about he's approximately five hundred years old. At the end of chapter five, says he was five hundred years old, and then he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then, in Genesis chapter seven, I'm skipping over a little bit. It says that he was six hundred years old when the flood came, flood of water came upon the earth. And we're going to talk about that in just the next lesson when we get into Genesis 7 about what's taking place here. But I think it's interesting that we see that the Lord, um, I don't have this up on our board, but let me, let me mention this. He is, we'll go ahead and erase some of this. You see what he's, what the world in which uh, Noah was living in. Let me finish with this. There are three R's about the Lord. 
is ruler, is right or righteous. And he's relational. Relational. He's ruler because he holds all the authority. He created everything. He can do as he wishes. Not only does he have authority, but he's, he has this power in which he can do these things. You, 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 he has made the rules. He's created the law in which people are supposed to live. I think of it this way. Think about when you watch a basketball game or a football game and you see these tremendous athletes Huge hulking figures, football players, basketball players. But you know what? The official is a whole lot smaller. The referee official, he's the one with the authority. He's the one who holds the authority. Same way with the Lord. I mean, that illustration I gave is just small what we're trying to get across here. The Lord holds all the authority. He has all the power. I mean, and it's incredible what he can unleash and what he's about to bring in his judgment on the earth. He's righteous. God's character is without question. It's impeccable. When he says something, He's going to do it, not on our timeline, but when he feels and senses the need to do it, he will do it. And so he, he, he has, that's his character. That's who he is. Everything about him is holy and righteous. He's, he's far and above anything. And so he's, he has all this unleashing power and authority, but he's also his character because, because he said it, that's the way it is. That's how he is. And I have to surrender to that and come up under his authority and attach myself to his authority and come up under it in everything that he does. That's what Noah is doing. He knows there's someone far and away above him and that he chose him. He called him out to do this. But here's what's incredible. Even in the midst of all this, you think the Lord is some kind of intimidating figure. Guess what? Love, love flows from him. You know how I'm able to love? Because he first loved me. We love because he first loved us. Incredible, incredible that what he does for us. And so God is not going to be mocked. He, we've, we've read over this. He's grieved in his heart. He, he sees what's going on on the earth. All this that's taken place, and you know what? Everything's corrupt. But he sees one man in his family that are pursuing him and coming after him and all that he does. God has mercy. He has patience. However, he will not be mocked. He shows love, but he's going to display his judgment. And for 120 years, people had opportunities to turn from their wicked ways. But yet in the end, we see what happened. That one man 
and his family got on the ark. This is really good stuff. This is incredible here. Let me, let me finish by saying this. You know, right now you have an opportunity to make choices. You can make, you, you can make the right choice. You can make the wrong choice. But here's the thing. You can't choose the consequences of your choices. Discipline, when discipline is clearly stated, why should I expect less from punishment? Why should I expect less? When, when discipline has been brought forward and it's spoken, why, why wouldn't I expect it to come upon me? Even in wrath and judgment, God shows mercy prior to his judgment. And he used Noah to be this. Preach repentance to people. Tell them of a coming judgment. They knew these things were coming. I quoted from Jude how, how God used Enoch about the coming, a coming judgment that, that was going to come on this, on this earth. You know, we should always hold to God's authority knowing that he holds everything. He holds all authority. He holds all the power. People will mock his authority. People will disobey his authority. But we are the ones who should reverence it because he's worthy. He's worthy of our worship, acknowledging him for who he is. Think about that. Think about that in the times ahead. Folks, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Um, please check out, continue to search through Genesis chapter 6. And as we get into Genesis 7, about what the Lord's going to do next and uh, in this, what's about to take place, there's a lot of people. People are starting to kind of show themselves now. You're starting to see more and more of a brazenness with people. People don't, uh, you know, uh, people don't hold to this anymore. It's starting to kind of wane as far as the, the, what the word says, the word of God says, and it's literal, what it literally means and how we're supposed to live. Um, you know, we need to hold to what God's word says and we need to have a high view of it in all that we do and how we, we live our lives, not just in reflection to him, but as other people will see how we hold to this high standard of what God's word says. And I say that to me, as I'm saying that to you, I'm saying it to me. It needs to be reflected in my life with my wife, with my children, with my family and friends. They need to see that. In all that we do. That's my hope for you. And folks, let's keep looking and pressing forward and keeping our eyes on Christ. Because uh, all this in the Old Testament, it points to Jesus Christ and how we're supposed to live. Hey, my prayer for you is to continue to pursue him, get in his word. Come after him in all that you do. And as, as I used to say, Maranatha, until he comes, until he comes, many blessings to you, and may the Lord richly bless you in all that you do. God bless, and I'll see you next time.